Welcome to Flip Connect, everybody. This is your host, Corey Harrington. Another episode of Flip Connect, where today I'm going to talk about the years 2016 and 17. So in the past, I went over my background, my experience, everything I've done in real estate up until 2015. So now I'm going to talk about 2016, 2017. Currently, it is 2021. It is February, or February. It's July 20th, 2021. As of this recording, I'm going to talk about my experience all the way through 2020. 2021 is not done yet. There's a lot of changes, a lot of things that I'm doing. Um, and one of those parts of that direction of where I'm going next is, is with this podcast. So it's an example of things that I'm doing uh, differently now uh, amidst the COVID uh, situation uh, ongoing with Delta variant and everything else we are you know protecting ourselves but at any rate um, we still have to do business so what does our business look like now I will talk about that in the coming episode I believe it's probably gonna be episode 20 right now we're, we're on episode 18 my great recession um, okay so we've gone through everything up to 2016. 2016 for me was really more uh, momentum built. Uh, it's been a multiple years of good success. If you look at the markets, you see that they're ever increasing, doing better and better and better. Great recovery. So I have you know no recovery issues whatsoever. There's nothing I'm trying to catch up with at this time. I'm doing pretty well and to look back you can't see this because it's a podcast but I'm going on my computer here and kind of looking back on sold properties 2016 so okay we'll go through those uh, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss a few that, that really pop up um, as, as memorable to me and uh, talk about my experiences with those as opposed to everything that all the details and everything that added in the previous episodes has really, you know, been discussed. Uh, the, the, at this point in time, there's not anything changing necessarily. There isn't, uh, I'm not adjusting my business model at this point. It's working pretty good for me. I would say that in 2016, I think I was, that was around the time I was switching out uh, direct mail providers. I had, gosh, I think... Uh, 14, 13, 14, 15, somewhere during that time, you know, I had, had some people, uh, that I, I, I paid for, I tried a bunch of different things. I tried postcards or tried all kinds of stuff. Um, sorry, I'm distracted. I'm assuming you can hear my dog in this recording. He's outside in the backyard doing something. I'm, I'm on a window overlooking the yard. So, um, anyway, I'll just ignore him. We, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, advertising. So we had various different advertisements and methods. The most effective, common, easy, straightforward was direct mail campaigns with regular letters being sent out. And so I think during that time I was experimenting with different providers, working out my price points and, and print quality. We'd send ourselves some materials to see how well you know it, it traveled. Uh, the fact that we had the mail out from, it was on the East Coast, you know, meant that the, it would take a while for the mail to come in, travels a particular distance. You know, I was checking out pricing for mail and size of mail. Uh, there's all different price structures. 
And uh, the, one of the big things that I had an issue with was uh, the quality of the print. Um, for the price I was paying, I was able to get much better quality from a, 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 a three color printer. And so they did these, they did these, sh they did all the bulk letters and printed off certain information and, and three color, let that dry. And then they had a digital thing that filled in the rest later on. So this giant stacks, I, I did, if you go to the, their warehouse, you see this big old stack of uncut paper. It was, I don't know, I think it was three or no, two by twos. Um, originally they, you know, they come out in like six by sixes and, uh, you know, these are approximately four feet by six feet, you know, full, full pallet size. Um, and then they cut them up from there and they save them in, in a, these four packs. And then, you know, when they're ready to do that print, they cut those in four and then they start the automated envelope folding and all. So it's pretty cool to take a look at that. But anyway, so I was checking out different Providers, uh, I, I worked with a few in town. I worked with a few out of town, far away, East Coast, all, all U.S. based. But um, yeah, so I was playing with that kind of stuff. I was playing with um, other other types of marketing, you know, experimenting with other types of marketing, testing them out to see, you know, how they work. But anyway, that's not really, you know, what I want to talk about right now. Um, but but that's kind of what I was going through. I, everything else was status quo. I was just working along, chugging along. Um, so let's see. Let's talk about let's talk about one of these properties. Uh, well, okay. So during yeah, so 2016, I had a contractor that I was working with that um, at the time I felt was really good. I actually went to his house. For, for, it was a direct mail piece. You know, we went went through our process. Um, and uh, my office picked up, we took the call, we went on the appointment, and um, it, it, it was the, the mother, uh, the father passed away, the mother passed very recently, and that was, you know, that was her house, and, and that was his boyhood home, so he wanted to, wanted to sell it to us, and so um, I put together a deal, and I said that I would also hire him to do the construction, and so I bought the house, and I gave him $7,000 up front right after purchase. So I pulled a draw, you know, for the amount of money that I, that I put into the property and my down payment, um, we were able to pull a draw for construction money. Um, the idea was that the 7,000 plus, I don't remember what the rest of the budget was, probably usually my budgets at that time were somewhere around 20 to 30, sometimes $40,000 in renovation. Um, but at any rate, you know, we're going to give it, get him that amount up front and that would hold, you know, that would fund him through the draw. And then we would pull the draw and then we would pay him on the next schedule and that would give us a float of capital, meaning that, you know, it's time for the draw. They did all the work. Um, he had 7,000 up front. He would have done $15,000 worth of work. I would have been able to pull a draw from my construction loan for $15,000 that would recoup the 7,000 I gave him up front. And then that would give me 7,000 in working capital um, at that point where, where he was in the construction schedule, um, it, it would be a nice float. So the next time that he needed a draw, which wasn't anticipated anytime soon, um, I would have funding for materials and, and, and other things, you know, our, our expenses 
to drive over there, inspect it, send someone out to take photographs, all the stuff we do, um, whatever our process was that would enable us to have um, some working capital. Uh, so I thought I'd be, you know, I put up the money up front, and uh, but the thing was I got the house at a good deal, and he also had the knowledge of, you know, he'd have a job, and it was his mom's house, and I figured he was really in line to do that. He was a general contractor, seems like he had a lot of experience, uh, felt very trustworthy, and so, you know, I went through, um, I went through him, I picked him and hired him, and uh, but what ended up happening is that I gave him, I think, three other properties at that time. And by giving him those three other properties, he of course said yes, and he worked on one of them extremely fast and did an excellent job. This was uh, French, I can't remember the number, I don't know what year that was. That might have been 14 or 16. But at any rate, um, when that sold. So we bought we bought another one in this area, uh, Lake Bend East area, or Lake Bend, not Lake Bend East, um, what's it called? Woodlawn Lake area near downtown and uh, so I bought that property on French and he did an excellent job um, we started on his mom's house initially and he had a skeleton crew over there meaning like I think one guy sometimes two um, doing the the things he already had a whole plan in his mind about what he was in matter of fact he was he was in the middle of construction over there and just you know ran out of money ran out of time interest whatever the the reasoning was told to me at that time he uh, just didn't have the ability to to finish it out um, so I, you know this this would have been a perfect scenario and so you know I was trying to make all these things happen at once and um, in hindsight I just gave him too much work and he said yes and he got into himself in the trouble over time and just couldn't, you know, couldn't make it work. So I think I'll actually have a full on episode talking about that construction story or that contractor story. I'll leave his name anonymous, but, um, you know, I want to talk in, in to some detail about, you know, what he went through and uh, it ultimately cost him a, a property. Um, uh, anyway. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that one later. I think that'll be a good one to, to discuss. But uh, going back to this, um, I had my problems during that time were um, bottlenecks and construction, working on timelines, budgeting, and 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 modifying the budget when things change. Because in construction, they always change. Something comes up. It's just inevitable. It happens every time. And you need to, you know, plan for that. So earlier when I was talking about having that float, that was, a, that was the amount of money that um, that I was receiving back from my loan um, giving me a draw. I, I think I just made up that number, 15000 But, you know, when I did give him the 7000 up front, that was, that was a real number. Um, that got him through uh, to, that, to that draw phase, which was a $15,000 draw. And then we were able to build that float in. Um, what ended up happening with that, you know, again, we'll get into that in the next episode, uh, one of these episodes coming up. But the point being, I had a lot of work. I had, I was working 100 hour weeks. Um, I had people that worked for me in, in various capacities. Um, I had an assistant. I had, you know, my wife, who's the office manager. So there's three of us full time. Um, I used to have a lot of people, uh, but you know, it depends on 
how you want to run your business, and we'll get into those things too. But uh, I decided that I didn't want to run a, a larger outfit and have a lot of overhead and a lot of volatility in the business um, if the market did change again. Because you know I'm just coming out of this this great recession, and I'm a bit leery about how to approach things. I've done well, and I don't really, I haven't had a, enough experience in the hot market in the upcoming market. Um, I've experienced the peak, near peak to peak. I wasn't all that involved, you know, back 2003 to 2007, 6, um, 2007, 8, when I moved out, you know, to Texas, we had you know, the Great Recession. So that's that was right at the peak of the market. Boom, drops down. I adapted. I went through everything I went through. I talked about the, those other episodes. And the lessons I learned out of that were to be conservative in your offer prices and, and, and budget and account for things that are darn near unaccountable for. You need to mitigate your risk. And so that was, that was my focus. So now that we're accelerating and we have a lot of opportunities and I'm starting to pay more for properties than I would have in, otherwise in the past. If it wasn't a screaming killer deal, I would not take it. Now I'm taking less exciting deals that are still financially viable, even with the risks factored in, but are at price points that are ever increasing. Um, I'm competing with more people. There's there's a lot of different elements there that we'll discuss too on competition and, and, and you know how you deal with that. But at this time, you know, it was really just a, a hamster wheel. I was just spinning, spinning, spinning. I was getting good traction, but I was moving. I was constantly moving. Um, same process over and over again. Buy, renovate, sell. Buy, renovate, sell. Buy, wholesale, assign. You know, I do a few of those, but all of my time and effort, I do a lot more of those than I do construction. Buy, fix, sell. Those are fewer and far between where, you know, example, if I'm doing four in a month uh, wholesale, I would do one a month in construction, and that one would actually last another three or four months. So, you know, there comes a point where you have, and I had, you know, 12, 13 properties all at the same time under construction. Um, you know, one, two, three of them ended, uh, and there's, but it's still part of that, you know, you're done with construction, but you still have the listing. You still have to deal with inspection repairs that you have to do and everything else. And so those kind of go back on to this construction schedule and you got to fix things. And so that takes a tremendous amount of time. My wholesales, I rarely re recall those. Those are the ones that kept the cash flowing and the big paydays came from the sales. But, um, you know, that was... Uh, that, 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 those were my problems. Those are my first world problems I was having in, in 2016. So 2017 is pretty much more of the same. Um, I eventually, you know, I needed more contractors. Uh, I, I always needed contractors, but I've been through so many. So many uh, contractors had not worked out or we have done a few and then poof, they're gone. Um, the main guy leaves, uh, partners split up, um, guys go to jail, you know, for contractors. Some of these, uh, some of the workers that they hire, you know, uh, this is this is the opportunity for them to get back into the workforce. And they 
end up going back to jail for whatever reason. And so you're losing key people in your construction crew and that, that cripples their jobs. And so they go back into like recovery mode and do everything they can to get new construction draws from new people. And so they're hunting for money. They're robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of thing out of survival needs. And um, that's that's where you hear a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, but sometimes, you know, a contractor will come in and will ask for a deposit and then you never see, see hear from them again. You never see them, you never hear from them again. And that's one of the reasons they do that, um, the bad ones, is because they're trying to keep their... their uh, their jobs going they're trying to keep their guys paid on the on the various jobs and now they're they're stretched even thinner so they have to work even longer and so they need to pay more for those guys and they don't have enough time to look for additional guys and so you know they they what they try to do is just like try to buy themselves out of it you know maybe i can just get two or three jobs and i'll get them done in the next four months once I get the money from the jobs, I can spend time, you know, hiring people. I can, I can bring someone in. This is a contractor's point of view, by the way. It's not me. That's not how I run my business at all. But I'm telling you, they're, 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 that's their, uh, not them, but that's a mindset of a bad contractor. And so these guys will, you know, take all these, uh, take all these deposits up front and, some of them may have great intentions of getting the job done, others may not, but both of them are irresponsible for taking that when they don't have the ability to complete the work on time. So I was dealing with stuff like that and just being so incredibly busy and, and, and having enough talented people help me get this, uh, keep this business going. That, that was kind of my growing pains phase and uh so it's just kind of more of the same until that's 17 okay so i looked at yeah I, I forget that house name valleywood i think it was valleywood i think it was valleywood okay and pull side okay misty bend five palms all right i'm just kind of read through some other oh here's an interesting one property in guilford for on guilford forge in universal city so this one was on it, it was on fire uh, it burned down and I was, was going to buy it. So I put it under contract to buy it and changed my mind. I did. I was scared of the risk. Fire damage and there's still ongoing uh, insurance claim litigation between the owner and the insurance company. Uh, they didn't want to pay out a certain amount. So there, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And and this, this would have been my first fire home. So... You know, uh, I got it at a decent price, enough to make some money and, and wholesale it to another investor, which I did. And uh, he ended up selling that off, I want to say four or five months later. Uh, you know, he started with the work over there. Uh, I gave him my two cents, you know, what I would do. I drew out a plan of how I would build out the house and add on in a certain area and change the walls here and there. And then, you know, since you have the opportunity to do all these things, because the house, you know, needed to be, it was, it was gutted out, you know, it was, it was bare bones at that point. And so there's a lot of opportunity to, you know, make improvements. But at the end of the day, it was too much for him too. And he sold it. And after that, I haven't, I haven't checked in. I haven't even driven by that area. Um, 
in the last couple of years. So it would that would have been probably later 2017. Um, oh no, to later 2016. So uh, yeah, I don't know what this point of that story was. Let's look at 2000, 2017. Uh, okay, that yeah. So I'm looking at a car, an Oldsmobile 442. I bought a 1970 Oldsmobile 442. I love classic cars. I buy and sell classic cars. It's the thing I do. I just I enjoy it. Um, I, I don't. It, yeah, it's it's not a uh, it's not a money maker that I found, but it's certainly a passion, and and it's just really cool to see these works of arts come back to life. So anyway, um, I was uh, I was out there spending some money, you know, I was doing well and and I wanted to, you know, buy and drive nice old, re fully restored vehicles and, and sell them off uh, later on for even more than what I paid for them and, 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 you know, find something I can make a few critical little improvements on, like returning, if it's all stock minus uh, the transmission, you know, move that into, you know, get a, get a new old stock or, or find a, 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 an old transmission that can be rebuilt. That's the same era. Um, or, you know, getting upholstery or, you know, repainting or touching up, you know, little things that you can do to add substantial value, um, f to the car. So I was getting into that. Um, I was, I think at that point, kind of looking back into going going to school online and um, getting, you know, getting a psychology degree. I, I'm really interested in um, organizational psychology, and so I, I thought that would be, you know, something cool to, to, to pursue as well. So, you know, I was super busy. I had a lot going on. I was dealing with uh, classic cars as well as my business. Uh, flipping houses and everything else so yeah just chugging along um, yeah nothing really remarkable during that time it was a good time I made a lot of money and we did well I had far fewer partnerships at that time there may have been oh Palfrey no there there was Misty Band or Misty something or there was a there was a a partnership, a good partnership, a guy that I've known for a long time. Um, he, he was a great partner for me um, during the time we both needed partners. He's he's since gone on and done. He's doing great things, uh, building houses in Austin right now, and uh, you know he, he's he's doing well, really well. Um, that was probably the last, second to last um, kind of partnership, you know, joint venture partnership that I that I was involved in and since then I have not done partnerships uh, but I am interested in getting back into partnerships in a different way and I'll discuss that some other time but uh, that was that was about that end so I was kind of you know completely on my own um, funded independently I have my options um, I've learned a lot how to deal with contractors I've learned a lot about you know running my business and having multiple streams of income so that I can uh, you know keep it stable and then taking on more perhaps than I should in terms of you know we're really finding my limit because I do I do moderate this and I'll talk about it more when we got into Airbnb stuff 
and uh, I'll talk about the Airbnb experience and and everything else there. Um, and I did I did have a partnership around that time as well, um, purely a financial one. There were no judgments or or, or, or you know um, there were no control issues to be concerned with there. It was it was a pretty good deal. It was it was someone I taught, so someone I would consider a student of mine. Um, if you want to call it that, uh, someone I, I've always looked out for. And, and so we, we got into a few deals and I think that was, that was right around the time too. I'll look at, I'll look at my files on that as well to kind of refresh my memory, um, on the addresses and the, all the details. And if people are interested about going into very specific detail in any particular property that I've done in the past, I'd love to do that. Um, I would like to have like a training session, but I need, I want feedback. I want to hear from other people. So definitely, um, if, if you take an interest in this and you're listening to this podcast and you can tolerate me, uh, go ahead and, uh, make a request and I'd love to do it. I'd love to, you know, talk about one in, in great, great detail, everything I know and, and put, put everything together in, in full perspective so you can see from beginning, middle, end what it takes to profit on a, on a property. But uh, anyway, I think that kind of wraps it up for me. So next week, uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about 2018 and 2019. It's a pivotal year 2019, as we all know. Uh, it was for me too. It was before COVID. Uh, I, was, I was ready to go in a different direction. I was ready to... to to just kind of pack it up. I was burnt out. Construction was just driving me nuts. And uh, we'll talk about that on the next episode. This is Corey Harrington for Flip Connect. Thanks for listening. Hope to hear from you soon.